Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge, and it's a joy to be able to uh, bring this message to you this morning. We're going to be talking about covenant church membership, and then we have a, a beautiful picture of what that looks like as we have some people who have taken this covenant with us, and they'll be coming forward later in our service to, uh, to take their covenant vows. The Holy Spirit has come. He is in our midst. I hear the. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, as, I, as I come up here to preach, um, in particular on this topic of covenant membership, our covenant family in the local church, uh, I am very aware of uh, the turmoil and the pain and the hardship that's going on around the world in many places, but in particular Afghanistan, for our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are suffering persecution heard from a sister church this week who has direct contacts there with the church of reports of great faith in the face of persecution. And I don't know about you if you've been following that or not, but um, this week my problems seem very small and very insignificant. When faced with seeing Jesus face to face in the face of imminent death, our brothers and sisters in Christ rejoicing and meeting together, saying we'll meet together even though we may die. And many times I find myself complaining about how hot it is in here. Or we find ourselves finding all sorts of excuses not to gather together. Or all sorts of excuses to be angry with one another. To prefer ourselves over one another. Friends, we are at war in this world. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against the principalities and the powers and the evil forces that oppose themselves to Christ, Satan himself and his evil ones, who we know from the promise of Scripture are defeated, and that Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not stop it. And we have a part to play in that as well, friends. And I hope this morning that as we unpack this sermon found in Hebrews chapter 10 will be our text. So if you have a Bible, please go ahead and turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 19 through 25. It is uh, number uh, 584, 584 on your pew Bibles there in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take that with you. And that is a, a gift uh, for you to take. I'm going to read the text um, here in Hebrews 10, 19 uh, to 25, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for our time here together, and I'm going to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. This is God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. 
Father, we truly say thanks be to God for your word. May this book, uh, which is inspired by your Holy Spirit and it is perfect, it is your message to us, may it come alive to us this morning in a, a brand new way. May we see ourselves here in this text, may we see our sin and our shortcomings, and may we see our Savior Jesus and his solution to our problems. May the person and work of Jesus be highly exalted in our midst today. And would you please, even my prayers for my brothers and sisters in Christ around the world seem, they just seem, seem helpless at times. But we know that if we, we, we lack, we know if we are in need, we can come to you, a Father who cares and knows and who is sovereign over all. So we pray for strength for our brothers and sisters around the world, in particular the church in Afghanistan right now. Would you give them strength? Would you give them joy? Would you be with their pastors, their elders? And would you put in our hearts, Father, a greater picture of Christ. May he eclipse fully our selfishness and our sinfulness. And may we leave this place more like the person of Jesus than when we came in. In Jesus' good name, amen. amen. So I want to unpack here. Uh, we'll, we will we'll dive into this text and see what the covenant church community is called to do in light of Hebrews 10, 19-25. First, let me just kind of unpack a little bit of what is covenant church membership. Some of you uh, may be very familiar with this. Some of you may not be. Uh, you might not know what this is all about, especially when we use the word covenant church membership and people will be coming up and taking certain vows here shortly. Um, this might be very new to you. Whether it is new to you or, or very familiar to you, let me, let me give you a little bit of an understanding of what is covenant church membership why do we see from Scripture that it is important, and then how do we do it? Just those, kind of those three simple uh, approaches this morning. What is it? Why is it important? And then how are we supposed to go about it, all right, <clears throat> as believers um, and called to love one another in this covenant relationship? Uh, let me give you this definition from an article that's been very helpful to me from uh, a man named Matt Schumacher. He describes church membership in this way. A church covenant is a promise, a promise made to God, to a local church, and to oneself. A church covenant is a summary of how we agree to live. While our statement of faith is a good summary on what we believe, our church covenant is a summary on how we agree to live. More importantly, it is a summary of how God would have us live, we believe. It does not include every explicit command regarding obedience, but it does give a general summary of what it means to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. A church covenant is a biblical standard. A church covenant is helpful and essential to a church that is committed to practicing biblical church discipline. As members of a church, we exhort one another to live holy lives and we challenge brothers and sisters persisting in sin. It's very important to understand that church Covenant membership involves being held accountable to live in a manner consistent with a common understanding of Scripture, end quote. That's a helpful definition of what church membership is and what we're going after when we talk about covenant church membership. Why would we use the, the language of covenant? Why do we use that? Well, 
Often if you look at theology, you will see that theology is, is based around, theology which is understanding of God is based on some form of the divine covenant. The Christian religion is best understood, and I think must be understood, covenantally. Because that's how God has chosen to relate to mankind. We see this from the beginning of Bible, the Bible to the end. The heart and purpose of all divine human covenants is summed up in the scriptures in these words. I will be your God and you will be my people. Have you read that before in the scriptures? You'll see that all throughout. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the heart and purpose of these divine human covenants are summed up in those words. We see this all throughout. At its most basic level, a covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. In light of this, we see human covenants kind of like falling under uh, marriage. We, we see marriage falling under this divine covenant language where there is a promise made, a, not just a promise, but deeper language of a covenant that has certain consequences if it is broken. There are nuances, of course, but a divine covenant is given after the fall, fundamentally, to bind God with his people, that this oath be kept. Covenant church membership is what we practice here at Refuge Church. Why, then, would we say that covenant church membership is important? You say, okay, great, I, I've been familiar with membership, I know that we have membership process, I could see where that could be helpful, but why in particular would it be helpful to a church. Why is it helpful to Refuge Church? If you do a little study, if you a little inquiry, will show you that many churches today in our culture, especially here in the West, do not have any kind of formal membership process for professing Christians to join. And so that's perhaps one of the reasons many people aren't familiar with covenant church membership. Now, maybe that's because they don't think that covenant membership is taught in the Bible. Perhaps they have experienced some hurt in churches under the guise of covenant membership. Perhaps it is uh, because they're confused by all the many different denominations and what those different denominations and ministries out there stand for and various issues. Or perhaps, and I believe that this is the most common one that I have seen in my years as a pastor, is that those who would not join a local church simply enjoy living on the edge of the local community and don't want to give up the independence that they are experiencing. That's been my experience as a pastor through the years. Now, whatever the case may be, for not covenanting with a local church, I think we can definitely say that Christians, at least we can say Christians who are not coveting with a local church are missing something that is vital to their spiritual growth and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At least. They're missing out on something that is vital to their spiritual growth, their sanctification, and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So why should we insist that somebody who claims to be a Jesus follower be a part of the local church and be a committed, accountable, and active member? Again, to use this covenant membership language. At its very least, covenant membership reminds us that we are not in this alone. 
that we do not have to go about this alone. Individualism and me and Jesus, it's just me and Jesus, does not work, and it's not the way that we were created. We were created for the glory of God and to be in community with God and also to be in community with one another. What did God, after he looked around in the garden and saying, this is good, this is good, this is very good, what is the one thing that he said was not good? That man was alone. It was not good for him to be alone. So he gave him Eve there in the garden that in community they might enjoy and experience God all more to his fullness. Covenant Church membership reminds us that we are not in this alone, that we are created for community. You saw these effects through 2020 with uh, the pandemic where people uh, of all religions and all practices had to isolate and many of those people experienced extreme depression um, and, and, and very uh, affected by their isolation from being in community. And thank God for the FaceTimes and the Zoomers and all those kinds of things, but those just weren't the same. A friend of mine in Scotland who runs a rehab program, Terry McCutcheon, he said that it was one of the most difficult times for their ministry that they have had in their history. Some of their most faithful members, those who had been working well in sobriety for many years, in fact, overdosed and died because of the lack of community that they were uh, not able to experience together. We were created to be in community. The scripture reminds us in Ecclesiastes 4.9 that two are better than one. And in the case of Refuge Church, um, if you're not familiar with the story, we said three are better than one. Three churches came together in a merger. We said, well, it, it seems that we are better together than separate. So instead of trying to kind of go it alone, let's merge together our efforts. And for those of you who are members here and those of you who will be um, taking these vows this morning, this is us. I'm not talking about the cheesy show. I'm talking about this is us, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. This is Refuge Church. I did not look at any of you individually when I said the good, the bad, the ugly, okay? So like, Pastor Jeff looked at me when he said the ugly. No, all of us. Family in all of its messiness, in all of its warts and wrinkles, in all of its imperfections. And let me say this, we'll get more to this in a minute, but it seems as we read the scriptures and as we interact with people, as I interact with people in ministry and in counseling, it seems that humanity's greatest desire is to be fully known and yet still fully loved. Have you experienced that before? Is that something that you desire in your own heart? I, I just want to be able to say it all and be fully known with those around me and still fully loved. And we see this as a result of the curse because of the sin in the garden. When they realized that they had sinned, they were shamed, and they went and they hid themselves from God. Of course, God knew beyond the outward appearance that what was going on in the heart. And this is the message of the gospel that we have a God who looks down and sees and he sees the imperfections of our heart and he sees that there is no way that we can earn our own righteousness and so he sent Jesus in order to reconcile us to God. And the message is, is that Jesus, Ben's excited, the rest of you should be excited about that too, by the way. Um, the message is, is that Jesus reconciles us to God and God fully knows us and yet still fully loves us because of the work of his son on our behalf. Now, if that's the relationship that God has towards his children, and he desires for those who are not his children yet, 
then should not also that be the, the relationship that we demonstrate with one another in a local church? That we are willing to be open and honest about our shortcomings and our faults and trust that we're going to be loved and that our definition of love might look a little bit different than we think it should look. And in part, that's why we've been put in a community. Because when I become my own judge and I look at myself in the mirror, I'm always going to give myself a higher score than I really deserve. That's why we are in community. That's why we practice uh, plurality of eldership here. So that we may spur one another on to love and good works, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I think... Often, as I said before, though, we find that the hesitancy to covenant church membership is found in people's lack of desire to to be accountable. Tim Keller says everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability and commitment to people and they run the other way. It's true. Many professing Christians will not covenant with a local church simply because they are unwilling to be committed and accountable. And again, I think many things can contribute to this, but I think that we are prone to want to set ourselves up. In fact, I know we are prone, because the scripture says so, to set ourselves up as our own judge and jury. Our own gods, which was the lie from the beginning that Satan told Adam and Eve. I think for, I don't want to go off on this too much, but what the heck. Um, I think that one of the reasons that we have seen such a lack of commitment in the local church, especially in America today, is not because churches have ceased to preach on covenant church membership. That's part of it. But I think that churches, and we can bear responsibility for this as a church to make sure we're shining the light on our own hearts and our own church, have failed to preach the gospel. I think we've failed to preach the whole gospel. Because if you only preach a half gospel, it's no gospel at all, right? Satan does that, half-truths. So it makes them so deadly. But what we have done within our churches is that we have taken the main point of the scriptures and the main object of the story and we have set him to the side. You know who that is? It's Jesus. He is supposed to be center point of all of the gospel. He is the center and the one who is to be exalted within the scriptures. And we have replaced him with ourselves. I think that we have preached sermons that make the story all about us. I think that the church in America is more committed to helping you understand yourself than they are to helping you understand Jesus. And I think in many ways this has led to this fierce individualism that we see in our culture today because we see it rampant in the church as well. And whenever there is accountability or leaning into from elders or from covenant church members, there's always kind of a, a backing up and saying, now hang on now, um, you're, I understand that like, you're supposed to help me be committed on certain things, but don't talk about money, don't talk about marriage, don't talk about sin, don't call me out, that's not loving, so on and so forth. Because we have elevated ourselves and our relationship with Jesus, which our relationship with Jesus is incredibly important. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But we have falsely believed that our relationship with Jesus and our Christianity and our Christian message is is only private and not also public and corporate. There was a responsibility that we have to live this out within the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to do this, build his church. He did not come to build parachurch organizations or individuals who are going to go out on their own. All those things are wonderful and good, but he came to build his church. 
And the gates of hell will not stop his church as they walk forward in all of their diversity, but under the banner and the unity of Jesus Christ. Friends, we have taken the message of salvation and made it about ourselves, exalted individualism to a place that is unhealthy. And I think as a result of that, we've seen a great exodus from the church because there is no true commitment because no true commitment has been preached. When we preach that salvation is this, that Jesus came to save you but now requires nothing of you, how would that not also cause this same attitude within the church? I heard a, a lyric of a song recently, and I can get real kind of surly on this stuff, and I understand that I can be kind of grouchy about this kind of stuff, and I can be a bit of a Pharisee on this kind of stuff, but certainly not in this case. Um, but I, I, heard a, I heard a song recently, a very popular uh, song recently with a lyric that said, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down to us. Now, that might not seem that bad in the moment, but it's continuing to preach and perpetuate this gospel of that, that God was in heaven saying, I'm lonely, and I don't, I'm incomplete, when God did not save you to get you into heaven. We've been going through 1 Peter uh, as a church, walking through and our break within here in our, in our, member, in our, um, in our Christ Local series has, has been more of a topical kind of a series. We usually just walk verse by verse through the Bible. And we're seeing that God did not just save us and then just say, okay, now I require nothing of you. God did not save you to get you into heaven. God saved you that you may proclaim his excellencies. Amen? Like God saved you so that you could no longer live for yourself but now live for him and now Jesus did come to serve you but so that you could serve him he came to reconcile you and your rebellion to God so that you can walk in newness of life and say no to your sin and self and say yes to Jesus that's why you have been saved but we've preached a message saying that that Jesus comes to you saves you but requires nothing of you which is not true and we've said that preaching that kind of a gospel is unloving, when in fact it is not. It is very loving, because what is not loving is to turn a blind eye because of the fear of man and let people persist in their sin, because sin leads to what? It leads to death. And that is not loving. That is not loving. What we need, friends, in my opinion, is more songs and books and sermons preached with these lyrics, like the old hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Thus might I hide my blushing face, while His dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness, and melt my eyes to tears. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received the sight. And because of that, now I can be happy all the day. Because true joy and satisfaction is found in losing myself and finding Christ. In laying down the things that I am holding white-knuckled to, saying these things will bring me satisfaction and joy and picking up my cross because Jesus already picked up his cross daily and following him. So let me submit to you as our time goes on here a few thoughts that might help us with the why as we continue on. You can, uh, you can write this down if you're taking notes. Biblical covenant church membership gives us a community that helps us in our sanctification and reflects the nature of our God. Well, there it is up on the screen. What do you know? There you go. That's it. Covenant Church membership gives us a community that helps us in our sanctification and reflects the nature of our God. This 
community will help us in our sanctification in four primary ways. Now, let me make it clear here this morning that I am speaking primarily to believers, to Christians, to those who have put faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And if, if that's not you, I hope that you come to know Jesus soon. And, and through this, hopefully you can see uh, what God calls us to in covenant membership and hold us accountable to that, by the way, because the church is called to obey these things fully. First of all, we see that covenant uh, church membership helps us in our communion. It helps us in our communion. It pulls us into the grand story of God's covenant love. God has made a covenant with his people through his son Jesus Christ. And the covenant speaks of a costly commitment sealed with an irreversible promise. This covenantal nature of the church membership that we speak of is very precious to our God because it reflects the very heart of our God. That he has entered into covenant with us and that he has done so at great cost. The cost of his own blood. That he did not count his life to be in his glory to be something grasped, but he gave it up and he humbled himself and he came to earth and put on human flesh and became a servant and went to the cross. And friends at Refuge Church, family at Refuge Church, how unwilling are we so often to do the same? Great that Jesus died for me, but I will not do it for my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we do it over the most petty things, friends. The church is the bride of Christ. He has sworn himself to her and to us. And we should do the same to him and to each other. It helps us to know God better. As I, as I continue relationship with each one of you, I understand the nature of our God better. I see His love. I see His, his boldness. I see His compassion. I see His joy. I see His humor, mostly His humor. I see all of these things within the covenant community of God. And it spurs me on to love and good works. It helps us in our community. It helps us to know God better. There's such a push right now that it's just me and Jesus, baby. All I need to do is like go for a walk on some morning, and I don't need to go to church. I just need to be with Jesus, right? It's just me and Jesus. But let me remind you that Jesus died for his what? His church, his bride. I think you've heard me say before, like, I'm best friends with my wife, and she's my bride. I entered into a covenant with her. So if you come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I really like you and I want to hang out, but I really don't like your wife, we're probably going to have a problem. I'm probably going to say, like, yeah, we should probably not hang out, right? And let's talk in a dark alley. Why don't you like my wife? Right? (laughs) Just joking. Well, not really. Um, But you get the point, right? Those who exit from the church, those who bite and devour, those who put themselves uh, ahead of others instead of putting themselves last within the local community, those who, who are always questioning their elders and not wanting to walk in faith in those areas are showing that they do not trust Jesus, that they do not love Jesus. They say that he is not trustworthy. We show in our relationship towards each other what our relationship here looks like, friends. It is a great message to the covenant family, and here's the dangerous part, to the world, what God is like when they watch us. And if we are biting and devouring one another and we are walking in this in drudgery and no joy, why the heck would anybody want to be a part of this thing? Especially when we talk about suffering and things like that. Like, well, why would I want to be a part of that? It helps us 
in our communion. It helps us, second, in our confirmation. Covenant Church membership helps us to confirm who the, and I would say this in in, in quotations, who the household of faith is. That's the the way the scripture uh, words it. Who is the flock among us? As the elders are called to shepherd the flock among us, we need to know who those people are. Who am I responsible to faithfully shepherd? It helps us to know the household of faith. When we go through the process of church membership, we normally here at Refuge have this, um, this process where we have an elder interview. Uh, after you go through the, the class, you sit down with an elder. Elder interview sounds very scary. It's not. You sit down, you talk through your gospel story. Hey, how did you come to know Jesus? Because the covenant church membership is reserved for those who have found faith in Christ through his atoning work on the cross and his love towards us. That's what the church membership is reserved for. And so we want to affirm and make sure and confirm that you are the household of faith. As we continue to see our culture and the church go on in this fierce individualism, saying, I don't need anybody else's input in my life. I don't need God's input in my life. The best thing I could do for myself is to care for myself. And there's a very small place for some of that stuff, all right? But we're, we're, we're exalting these things to a place of God, which becomes a very, very dangerous thing. We're finding that people are backing further and further away and going about their own assessments of themselves. And who is to say, if you're assessing yourself, that you really are a believer? Because again, friends, I always give myself a higher score than I deserve. And then I happen to talk to my wife, right? I see it in the reaction of my children because daddy hasn't parented well, right? I I see it in in the, uh, the feedback from my fellow elders, from the deacons that we work with here, from the covenant members, from my refuge community, and I say, oh boy, I need this. Because by myself is a very danger, I make a very, very poor God of myself, right? Who's going to confirm that you are a child of God? And yes, there is a place for the relationship with Jesus. It is very important that we'll talk about in a minute. But again, you must remember, friends, that your, your belief and your commitment to the faith is not simply and only personal, but it's also corporate and it's public. And it should be open to people looking into your life. Let us do good, in Galatians 6 it says, to everyone, but especially to the household of faith. There is a unique and special love that we have for the brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, but especially, I think, within our church family here. There's an extra commitment that we are making to one another. Me as a pastor to you and you as a congregation to me and me as a member and so on and so forth to walk through these things. And you'll see these commitments here in a moment when our people come up to take this covenant. But that I, am, I, can, I can partner with other churches that we love and, and partner with in the city, but I am not their pastor and, and they are not my people, right? They're not the flock among us. There's a commitment that we have here, and there's also a special love for the household of faith that looks different than the love that we have for non-believers. We are supposed to, as Jesus, love all people and show honor to all people and to love them dearly and earnestly, but we are supposed to show this love primarily in the local church. Jesus said to his disciples, by this, and you know the scripture, all people will know you're my disciples. By what? By your love one for another. And he's talking about the church. By your love for one another. How you bear with one another. And are long-suffering with one another. And die to promote others. 
That is how the world is going to look and observe, and they're going to see the loving, sacrificial nature of our God, and they're going to say, maybe I should give this a try. Look at all those people who are diverse and different, and yet they come together and are willing to die to self, and they're willing to love each other in such a way that they're not just going to let each other get away with bloody murder, but they're going to step in graciously, and they're going to speak up when they see people walking towards death and say, watch out. Maybe I should try that. They will know your my disciples, by your love, one for another. It helps us third in our commitment. It helps us in our commitment. Covenant Church membership provides an opportunity for us to walk the walk instead of just talking the talk, which is very, very easy in our day today. You can do it with a couple clicks of your phone and proclaim many wonderful things. And... uh, give a very beautiful picture through lots of filters. But how often is that really not the case? It has never been easier, I think, to, to, to talk big and then act cheap. Covenant Church membership helps us in our commitment. It provides us this opportunity to actually be genuine in our faith. It helps us in our accountability first under this heading of commitment to your church leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Friends, that is a heavy, heavy burden that weighs upon my shoulders. Now, the thing that, does it, that helps it not to crush me is to know that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Amen? And, and that helps you, too, I know, right? Like, if, if it was just Pastor Jeff and the rest of these yokels, then, like, we'd be in trouble. But it's Jesus, the chief shepherd, and us as under-shepherds underneath him and accountability to one another, and to you as well. But it helps us in our accountability to our church leaders because we are seeking to keep watch over your soul. We must give an account for that, the rest of the verse says. As those who will have to give an account for that, that do we shepherd well. If we hop from church to church or refuse to join a covenant local body, how can we obey this verse as believers? Furthermore, Peter exhorts pastors, shepherds, overseers to shepherd the flock among us well. And so how are we as shepherds or any shepherd supposed to shepherd well and faithfully if he doesn't know who we're supposed to be shepherding well? You come, you go, you're here, you're there. And we leave churches and hop churches for the most ridiculous things these days. We have really good coffee, so I think that will be a a pretty good incentive for a lot of people. Um... I say that kind of jokingly, but people jump here and there because they simply like the seats better. And man, oh man, this smacks us right in the face in light of things going on around the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing death, and this is only when we see it in the news and happen to tweet about it because it's popular for us to tweet about right now or whatever. We'll forget about it soon enough. Man, we are so blessed and we are so easily sidetracked. Helps us in our commitment and our accountability to our leaders. Second, under this heading of commitment, it helps us in accountability to our fellow covenant members. You're not just accountable to be led by your leaders and submit to them, but you're also called to submit to one another. We are committed to each other in spite, please listen, of our shortcomings. We are also committed to help one another overcome. 
That means it is our job to be graciously intrusive into each other's lives and to be graciously open. If we are supposed to call upon the Lord as David did and said, search me, O God, and see if there is any wicked way within me and leave me in the path of righteousness everlasting. I don't want there to be anything that is hindering my relationship with God and my oneness and unity with God. We should also have that attitude towards one another, and yet how often do we, this is not a COVID joke, but how often do we put on masks and walk into our churches? Now, some of that is for a very good reason, because the church often can be very judgmental and very hurtful. Perhaps, this is not in my notes, so steady, Matt. Um, <laughs> perhaps, friends, I have talked to a lot of people who have gone through church. I've been in church my whole life. My dad was a pastor, still is a pastor. Same, same church, 40 plus years, all right? I've had a lot of older ladies coming up and jiggling my cheeks saying, I changed you as a baby. And they're like, well, I'm your, one of your pastors now. That's weird. Um, but I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen a lot of people say about the horrible things that they have seen in church. And to be sure, there is a lot of horrible things that go down in churches, for sure. And it makes it that much more because uh, we are called to walk in righteousness and newness of life and love one another and to overcome, for sure. But perhaps, could I maybe submit to you that the church that you left angry at last time, maybe there was some truth in that and you do have a responsibility in that, maybe just in part. Or maybe it was your fault and not theirs. I don't know. But it's something to consider, right? Because when I read the scriptures and when I understand the gospel, the gospel seems to, every time, say that we should always assume that we are the problem. Let's take the beam out of our own eye before we go looking for the speck in other people's eye and beating them up with the beam that is in our own eye. We are called to be accountable to our covenant members. We have a responsibility to them. It gives us a tangible way to express commitment to the family of believers. We can say in general that we love God's church and that is good, but it is better to actually demonstrate that in a covenant family, to look brothers and sisters in Christ in the eye and take these vows to promise to be with them in the good times and in the bad times and in the ugly times and in the beautiful times, all by God's grace, because we are a fallible people. We have issues. Do you know how I know that Refuge Church has issues? Because I'm one of the pastors here. And by the way, if you go looking for a brand new church thinking you're going to find a perfect church, you will ruin it when you show up because you're imperfect. Where is the grace that we so readily receive from God but are unwilling to give to each other? Where is it? If you say you love God and hate your brother, I think it's pretty clear, clear the scripture says, how can you say you love God? You cannot. It takes courage to make these promises. It takes courage to make these promises because you are being called to show that you understand the gospel and the gospel calls you to come and die because that's what Jesus did. And that's what he's calling you to do. Come and die and find life. And covenant church membership propels you forward in that and you have brothers and sisters in Christ and elders and leaders who are helping you walk that out as you are helping us walk that out. 
Families are crazy. Some of you are already nervous about the holidays because families are messed up. Any perfect families here? No. Our families are messed. I see some of you smirking. Some of our families are just really messed up, right? And you'd be surprised. But that is the story here across the board in so many ways. My family's crazy. You know, sometimes, sometimes, friends, we expect too much from each other. Now, sometimes we do not expect enough. There's a whole sermon that can be preached on that. Some of you are like, I, I want to be loving to you, so I'm going to back up and just love is let you do whatever you want. Love is not letting somebody walk straight toward a cliff or drink poison. It's not, no matter how you twist it. But perhaps some of you are expecting too much from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what I mean. You're expecting them to give you what only Jesus can give you. Do you, do you point people past yourself to Jesus? Do you see past your leaders, your pastors to Jesus? Are you cultivating personal relationship with Jesus himself? Are you looking to him for your satisfaction and your joy and your peace? In part, yes, you should run to one another, but that is only to be a picture and a mirror of what you should be doing to God daily, relying upon him, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you perfectly. And we are called to do that as well as brothers and sisters in Christ, but be careful that you do not put on each other or on your leaders a weight that they are not responsible to bear and that will crush them because only Jesus can truly satisfy what you're asking for. On the flip side, some of you aren't asking enough, and you need to be more intentional. We need to be more graciously intrusive. Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love one another and bear with one another. And may I say, underneath this, this, this heading here of um, trusting, uh, I mean, sorry, being accountable to your, um, your covenant family, remember that your leaders are family too. Remember that your pastors are people too. <laughs> And we are broken, and we are looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, just as earnestly than you are. Be gracious with one another. Be gracious with us. I am not Jesus. Hold me accountable for sure. Some of you aren't asking enough of me or your leaders, and some are asking too much. And the same for each other. But remember that we are called to bear with one another in love. And all that love and passion that we have been showing lately on our latest social whims, how about we turn that towards our brothers and sisters in Christ and love each other, each other earnestly, genuinely, fully from the heart, which means that we don't pull punches with each other. It also means that love covers a multitude of sins and that I'm going to die to myself before I, I uh, try to push my agenda. Covenant Church membership encourages us to use our gifts as well under this commitment. Ephesians 4.16, Paul talks about all the various gifts and he says that when we come together, we have all these different giftings and we're supposed to be using those under the banner of the cross. 
It's a beautiful thing when you see a church that loves each other deeply, that, that holds each other accountable to the standard of the Scripture and uses their gifts to their fullest. All in its beautiful diversity, under the banner of the cross. God can do wonderful things through that church. Fourth here, as we kind of try to wrap it up, it helps us in our commission. So we see that it helps us in our communion. It helps us in our confirmation and our commitment. It helps us in our commission to go forward and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The covenant church gathered together, walking in accordance to what the Scripture has called it to do, is a beautiful picture of the Gospel to the world, as we've already mentioned. To individually tell others the wonderful news of the Gospel is beautiful. That's great. But let's pair that also with loving each other dearly, a living, breathing, moving example of the transforming power of the Gospel because some of you sitting in this room wouldn't even be friends. In fact, you'd probably be enemies if it wasn't for the Gospel of Jesus Christ that unites you. I saw this play itself out real in real time uh, when I pastored Victory People Church. We had a lot of people uh, in, in, in addiction, a lot of people in difficult uh, areas of their life. We had a, a former gang members and so on, and some of them sitting in the pews had formerly been like fighting and feuding, drug wars and all this kind of stuff, and there they are sitting together singing, Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. That's a picture of the gospel to the world. It helps us in our commission to go forward and make disciples of all nations. Change happens, it's been said, and there's many adaptations to this quote, but change happens when a, a small group of people find a better way to live and people copy them. You heard that before? That's what the church has always been about. They've come together and they've looked different. From its inception, it has looked different, and others say, let's give that a try. So now to the challenge, to the exhortation. How are we supposed to live this out? This is a tall order. We just say right away, praise God for the chief shepherd who is building his church. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. I can't build it. Our elders can't build it. Our deacons, our ministry leaders, the, the covenant members, we cannot do it in our own strength. It will fall flat on its face. If you're trying to build a name of a church or some great thing here, it's not going to happen. Unless the glory of God is our aim, we're never going to treasure Christ properly or love each other or give his gospel to the world. And we can't do it. It's Jesus who is building his church. It's Jesus who is marching us forward. But we must be a part of his mission. In Hebrews 10, as we've already read, 20 through to 25 is our exhortation here for us this morning. And as we come forward here soon to watch these few in our midst this morning who are going to take these vows, this is what we are charged to do. After the author of Hebrews has kind of gone on and on, rifting about the glory of God and the supremacy of Christ over all things, you can go read it on your own time. Christ's sacrifice once and for all, Christ's supremacy all in all. He comes to this text this morning where we are in 19, and he says, Therefore, in light of the great glory of God and the work of God on your behalf, what he has done to build his church I want you to do these things. And I see three things here standing out in particular. Under this heading, it is a call to faith and endurance. A call to faith and endurance. He is calling believers to be faithful and to persevere. First of all, in verse 22, 
He is calling them to draw near. Draw near in full assurance with a true heart in faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Drawing near to God. Friends, church family, this is what we need you to do most. If you are a member of Refuge Church or a faithful attendee of Refuge Church, if you are in Christ, draw near to God. That's what we need from you. Because from an overflow of your love and adoration and glory seeking for God, we will be blessed by that. We will get the overflow from that. We need you to press into Jesus and to cultivate relationship with him first and foremost of all things because of the work of Jesus on your behalf. Draw near to him in full assurance of faith. Draw near to him and take others with you. Second of all, verse 23, let us hold fast. An exhortation to hold fast. Draw near and hold fast. Fast, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. He promised and he will keep his promises. The hope, hold fast that confession. Walking continually in newness of life concerning Christ and his work, you are called to hold fast to the gospel as stated in the Holy Scriptures. Hold fast to that. Don't have, hold fast to some book, don't, unless it's the Bible. Don't hold fast to some pastor. Don't hold fast to some family in the church or some scheme or some ministry thing. Hold fast to the hope that is yours in Jesus Christ that has been shown you in his holy word. Hold fast to that. That's what you need to be about, holding fast to that. Some of you are fighting battles that God never asked you to fight. You are sacrificing and dying on hills that God never asked you to sacrifice and die on. He has called you to be faithful to this, and from this, it will touch everything else. Hold fast. You've seen before, um, hold fast on the knuckles. Brent says, I can't get any knuckle tattoos. Actually, he draws the nine. No knuckle tattoos and no neck tattoos, so I uh, gave that fight up. Um, you see hold fast on the knuckles. You know the, you know the history of that? Sailors would, uh, would, would get tattooed on their knuckles, hold fast, because part of what sailors had to do, especially in the midst of a storm, was hold fast to the ropes and the riggings. And so they believed that if they wrote that, that it would kind of ward off the evil spirits and give them good luck. Hold fast, a good reminder to hold fast, do my job. And it was also a reminder to one another as their knuckles begin to get whiter and whiter that the hold fast would show clearer to one another. You better hold fast and do your part because if you let go of your side, Greg, I'm going to go flying up into the rigging, right? So please hold fast because if you let go, I'm screwed and vice versa. This is, this is what they understood, that they needed every single person on that boat, depending on the size of the boat and what needed to be done, every person had to know their job and to do it well and to hold fast. And each person was depending upon the other friends. In the local church, you don't realize that you affect everybody else. Paul talks about the, the body of Christ being like our human bodies. You ever stub your toe? My whole neighborhood knows when I stub my toe, you know? 
And we, Judah's big into Legos right now. What is Legos? Such an amazing thing, but such like death to parents. Like in the middle of the night, like he's just laid these booby traps for me uh, with Legos and yell. Like you understand the point I'm making, right? When some small member of your body hurts, the whole body hurts. You don't know, friends, the extent of your sin affecting and infecting the whole body. It's not that big of a deal. It's like saying oh, the, the, the free throw in the basketball game is not that big of a deal until it gets down to it and the game is won by a free throw, right? It is important. You affect the body. So be about drawing near to God and holding fast. Be about cultivating personal relationship with Jesus and walking in the spiritual disciplines and being a kind of one, being faithful. That's what you should be about. Lay down all this other stuff that you've been trying to find life in and pick up the cross and follow Jesus and lean into your church family in doing so. Also, the reverse has the effect as well. The closer you draw to Jesus, the more we benefit, by the way. I've been saying that all throughout. This is a lengthy um, quote, but I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to say one more point, and I will be done. Deal? All right. Talking about covenants and commitments. I have to keep my commitment now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a lot about the uh, unity of the church. Just finished um, Eric Metaxas's book about Bonhoeffer. Like everybody else, I bought it and never read it until recently. Um, a lot of this made a lot more sense in his uh, culture because he was faced with such dilemma in Nazi Germany over what the church was swallowing wholeheartedly their acceptance of Hitler and what Hitler was proposing and their twisting of the scripture. I think this has a lot to bear as well as we think about the church around the world. Here's what it says. Speaking of holding fast, speaking of community, he says this. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. Whoever is mindful to build the church is surely well on his way to destroying it. For he will build a temple of idols without wishing or even knowing it. We must confess that he, Jesus, builds. We must proclaim He builds. We must pray to Him that He will build. We do not know His plan. We cannot see whether He is building or pulling down. It may be that the times of which, by human standards, are the times of collapse are for Him the greatest times of construction. It may be that the times in which in a human point are great times for the church are times when it needs to be pulled down. 
It is a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, preach, bear witness, and I alone will build where it pleases me. Do not meddle in what is not your providence. Do what is given to you and do it well, and you will have done enough. Live together in the forgiveness of your sins and forgive each other daily from the bottoms of your hearts. End quote. The last point is for us to stir one another up. The author says to draw near to God, to hold fast the confession of your faith without wavering, and to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching and drawing near. Encourage one another to hold fast. Encourage one another to draw near. Encourage one another to forget yourself and find yourself in Jesus. Encourage one another to draw near to him because he will draw near to you. Exhorting one another, strengthening one another to draw near. And it's as, it's as simple as what the author said here all these years ago. Just don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together. That's a simple piece that you can do. Be actively, intentionally, accountability and driven, engaged. Be graciously intrusive and graciously receptive, friends. And trust in the promise of God, where Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stop it. Father, we have said many words this morning. Hopefully, I pray uh, that they are not received as my words, but your word or my words will and should fade away. And may the word of the scriptures taken by the Holy Spirit, the true preacher, remain. And may they go down into our hearts and shape, us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ would be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith toward each other and toward our neighbors. Would you continue to shape and mold and fashion us after your likeness, a community after your likeness, a church after your likeness, not ourselves. May we do our part knowing that you have done your part and you are trustworthy. Continue to work in us until your church is built and the whole earth is filled with your glory because that's our desire. In Jesus' good name, amen.